L.A., man, shoot, we just go home. <laughs> we can beat the Methodist to the restaurant for sure. Hey, we're so glad that you are here today, and I'm so grateful. Uh, I really appreciate our praise team. I know I say that too often probably, but did y'all realize that there were nine people on this stage leading worship? Amen. Nine people, nine young people. Yeah, uh, yeah come on. And then over here, my cheerleading squad over here, you know, I'm hearing these voices singing. It's you guys, you know, y'all are just cutting on with it. And then while we're doing the whole world, they're over there going, yeah. I'm going, oh yeah, come on with it. So anyway, we're just glad for your, you to be here. Trey said, as he walked off, he said, he said we, even when we can't see him working, we don't feel him working, he's got the whole world in his hands. And he certainly, yeah. certainly does. Hey, let's, this is week number two um, in our series of Can Will um, God bless America. And again, you know, this is not a sermon about uh, America and all the what's wrong with America. Rather, it's a sermon about what needs to be right with the church. Because I honestly believe, you know, if we're, in fact, it's so funny. One of the last things Bill Moore said to me last week um, was he came up and said, you know, hey, do you think we should get a bus and fill it up and go to Washington, D.C.? I said, Bill, you missed it. I said, it starts right here, baby. It starts right here. When God's people start getting right, the nation starts getting right. When God's people start getting right, the nation starts getting right. And so, yeah. And so, God really led me to teach you this, this month about what we need to do as a church to help national revival come. Again, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because God chooses, yes, His sovereignty, but He uses um, the people of God. And so we got this thought, this idea of he's got the whole world in his hand, because I know these are frightening times and they're frustrating times. They're just frustrating times when you think about the things that we see going on in government and things going on in culture. It's a very frustrating time. And it's almost a fearful time. But I want you to understand, I want you to believe and know that God really does have the world in his hands. Even when it doesn't feel like he's doing it, um, he is definitely, definitely working. Um, it, you know, times like yesterday and times like today and times like tomorrow, you know, when, um, you know, when Bill had a little issues, Bill Moore had a few issues with his heart on Friday night, took a nitro and went to bed, but woke up and things were just not well. And uh, so, you know, it's very, he went from like no to problem. And so, yeah. And so he goes to the hospital. They gave him the Carbondale. They do a catheterization. You know, say, hey, this is too big. Um, we need to take you to St. Louis where they can do open heart surgery. And we're all going, oh, wow. Oh, wow. But you know what? When that news came, guess what? He had the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. And then I get this call um, this morning at about 6.20 in the morning, and uh, Roz is on the phone, and she's saying, hey, 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 you want to hear our miracle? I said, what's that, bud? Fadette. And so, and yeah, and so, so she said, listen, no open heart surgery. I said, what? She said, yeah, they got up here, and they, the doctors took a, look, a new look at the uh, catheterization results and said, you know what? We can fix this with stents. We, we don't have it. And yeah, he had four stints, but everything went great. Um, he's doing wonderful. No open heart surgery. And guess what? You know, he was, he was God yesterday. He had the whole world in his hands yesterday when that news came about open heart surgery. But guess what? He had the whole world in his hands when the doctors, you know, said, no, I don't think so. And God said, yeah, I don't think so either. And so they were able to fix it with stints. And listen, here's the big news. Whatever tomorrow holds. Whatever tomorrow holds, whatever your tomorrow holds, I want you to know and believe he's got the whole world in his hands. In fact, I want you to know and believe that 
God has our culture and our nation in his hands. And he wants to do a mighty work. God is not done uh, with us. He's not done with our nation. And he is not done with this world. I mean, you know, there, there are revivals. I mean, there is a, a, a wonderful sense of, of, of excitement going on in our church. I don't know if you sense it or not. Um, but it's just incredible. And again, it's, God's just not done working yet. And he's got the whole world in his hands, no matter what it looks like. No matter what it looks like. You know, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is over in Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. Because it really shows the sovereignty of God. Okay, and we're going to talk about that today. You know, let me read to you from, from 427. Now, here's what's happened. Peter and John were like preaching and stuff. They healed the, the lame guy and they were preaching. The council, the Sanhedrin didn't like it. So they had him arrested. The church has a prayer meeting while, while you know, they're, they're arrested. And so then they get out and they go back and they have another prayer meeting, okay? But this is part of the prayer right smack dab in the middle. Listen to this. For Herod and Tippus... Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. Now, that's everybody, okay? That's everybody. We're all united against Jesus. See, see, y'all, y'all, y'all are thinking that since the majority is against Jesus, that somehow God's going to lose. God's not going to lose. You know, Satan thought that when, when Jesus says it is finished and breathes his last breath and died and was buried, he assumed it was all over. Honey, he was just getting started. He was just getting started. So, so don't think, don't, you know, because culture's so big and, and, and you know, everything seems to be going, you know, the world's way. God ain't done yet. And, and so, so they said they were all united against Jesus, uh, against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But listen to this, verse 28. But everything they did, everything they did, everything that happens in your life, Everything, the difficult and not difficult, everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. You see, the early church realized that, that you know, what happened on that Friday was horrible, but it was all ordained by God's will. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 139 that every day of your life was planned before a single one of them was lived. He's got the whole world. In his hands. Now I'm telling you what. That's reason to be excited. That's reason to be optimistic. About what the future is. And then just four chapter, eight chapters over. In Acts chapter 12. We get this weird story. Again it's one of my favorite stories. Because it's so weird. Let me read it to you. This one actually starts out in the right place. So it says about that time. There's always about that time. About that time King Herod Agrippa. Began to persecute some believers in the church. You know, we feel like we're sometimes under pressure and, and, you know, the outside culture seems to be persecuting the church. Well, nothing like this, okay? So he decided he would persecute some believers in the church. So he had the Apostle James. Now, Apostle James was John's brother, okay? You remember Peter, James, and John? They were the inner circle. They were Jesus' best buddies, okay? Well, he arrests James and had him killed with the sword. What? That didn't make any sense. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you said it was Jesus' best buddy and surely God's best friend. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes life is difficult. Even, yeah, sometimes you can die doing the will of God. Even when you're best friends with Jesus and even when you're best buds 
with God. But here's the crazy part. That's not the crazy part. When, verse 3, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, you know, that James was arrested and murdered, when, when, when the Jewish people were all whooped up, woo-hoo, woo-hoo, he also arrested Peter. Oh, how about that? So now he's got Peter in jail, and you can probably see where this is going. His plan was, just like he killed James, he was going to kill Peter too. And guess what the church was doing? Well, they, they, were, they were praying. In fact, verse 5, it says, But when Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So your question has got to be, well, wait a minute. Weren't they praying for James? They were. But see, in his sovereignty... God's plans for James included him being a martyr and dying. And yet we're going to see something amazing that wasn't true for Peter. In fact, if you go and read the verse, it says, um, verse number 11, you know, he, he escapes prison. You know, he escaped. The angel sets him free. He follows the angel out, and he finds himself outside on the streets. And here's what verse 11 says. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders have planned to do to me. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, James is martyred. He's got the whole world in his hands. Peter is set free. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I want you to know, no matter what you're fearful about the future, about America and about the government, about the election, about your finances, about your family, about whatever it is, you've got to believe he's got the whole world in his hands. In his hands. There's a quote that I originally had at the end of the sermon that we're going to bump up here because it's really good. You know, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis kind of speaks to this. You know, what do you do when, when you know, James is murdered and Peter's set free? You know, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best thing for us. We're not necessarily doubting that. But we're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Sometimes the very best that God has planned for us can be very painful. You know, that Jim Elliott guy who died at 28 on an Ecuadorian beach, murdered by some natives, he was trying to win to Jesus. The guy who said he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The one who said we need to trust God that God's best is always best. He understood he had the whole world. In his hands. And you need to understand in this world that we're living in, the United States of America, or whether it's another country, or what your world looks like, he does have the world. Listen, listen, God's going to do his best for us. We're just wondering how painful, how painful. Somehow, and in some way that I can't understand, I attended the funeral of my nephew on Monday. And he's 42 years old. Left behind an eight-year-old little girl and a two-and-a-half, three-year-old little boy. A 36-year-old mother and wife. Mother of his kids and wife. Two brothers. They said we were best friends. And a mama and a daddy, nearly 80 years old, my sister and my brother-in-law, devastated with grief. And yet I knew and I know, and they knew and they know that he's got the whole world 
in his hands. And what perhaps, no, no, no. What was the most inspiring funeral I've ever been to? This young man who lived more in 42 years than most people do in 80 years. Who, who inspired people, who built people, who built businesses, who loved Jesus emphatically, who talked boldly to the pastor about his own service before he died. God chose to take away at such a young age. He's got the whole world in his hands. I'm trying to tell you, you need to believe that today. Because if your world is good today, it may not be so good tomorrow. He's got the whole world in his hands. There's a scripture in Psalm 8, 3 and 4 that talks about this God. And boy, did we sing about this God today. It's just amazing. In Psalm 8, 3 and 4, when I look at the night sky, when I look at the night sky, the psalmist says, and I see the work of your fingers, you know, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are... Mere mortals. What are mere mortals? Um, that, you, that you think about them. Or how about human beings that you care for them? What an amazing God who, who spoke it all into being. Who We look and we see the stars and the galaxies. And we see all of that. And yet he thought of us. The old song says, while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. So here we are, and, and Psalm thirty-three, twelve, just says this powerful scripture. And it says, blessed is the nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You know, just a, just a, now I'm going to fool you, Nancy. Now, just a casual glance at that kind of God makes you say, well, we want America blessed. We, we want to be that blessed nation. Okay? And the key, the keystone of this scripture is blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. You see... Nations are made up of people. And the strength of this is the people he has chosen as his own possession, as his own inheritance. And here's the deal. God cannot be the God of a nation unless he's God of his people. God cannot be the God of a nation Unless he's God of his people. And he can't be God of his people unless his people are willing to surrender. Listen, it is time that we get serious about our faith. It's time we get serious about Jesus. It's time we get serious about God. Because God wants to use us to turn this country and send national revival. But we've got to be willing to obey him. Um, Jeremiah Denton, and you certainly don't know that name. This guy was a public speaker, um, but also an astronaut. And, and he, it was a, one of those times that space changed him. And he said, founded on faith in God, the United States has been blessed as no other nation. 
And I know, again, please understand, especially you who might be younger, you know, I am, I'm not crazy enough to think that every founding father was a great man of God. I, in fact, I found out one thing is that I would look up some quotes about George Washington or something, never said them. I mean, there's no evidence at all that they ever said them. But, but this is true. The United States was a nation that was founded on faith in God. It's just a fact that it was. Go back and read the history of the United States. Not, not, every, not every politician and not every leader was a strong believer, but there were so many that were. That were. And, and listen to this. The United States has been blessed as no other nation, and it has. I've been over 25 nations in the world, and there is nothing like the United States. I am still amazed that in, in the year 2023, I can stand up and boldly preach the word of God and no one's going to walk through that door and tell me I can't. You can stand and sing praises to your God and no one's going to walk in and shoot your family or discard you from the, from, from the nation because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why did that happen? Why is it, why is it that, that God has blessed you know, the United States as no other nation? Why is that? It's not because we're special. I mean, you really think God saved you because you're special? Do you think somehow that, that you managed to be good enough that God said, boy, I just can't wait to save him? Friend, you were saved because of God's amazing grace. And God has blessed this nation not because it's America, but because in his sovereign grace, he chose to. He chose to. Just like he saved you by his grace, he has chosen to bless the United States of America. One of my favorite quotes I did find to be true was a guy named John Adams. He's one of our presidents. And this one is so verified, we have had a date. On April the 18th, 1775, a British soldier ordered John Adams to disperse in the name of George, the sovereign king of England. And look what Adams said. He said and responded with, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Can you see how far we've drifted from that? But God, by his grace, can bring us back. What's important is, if we can't say this as a nation, we can say it as a church. If we can't say it as a nation... We can say it as a church. And as church after church, as after believer after believer after believer, after church after church after church, um, comes to the terms and agrees, listen, we recognize we know no sovereign but God. I don't care what society says or culture says or pressure says or what the White House or the State House or the City Hall says. Listen, we recognize no sovereign but God. And we have but one king. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are. Here we are. We have no sovereign but God and we have no king but Jesus. And if we want to see America experience revival, we need to do everything we can to put that in place. And we put that in place. Three of the four ways we can do that is by putting worlds from our world in his hands. Let me say that again. By putting worlds in his, of our world in his hands. What are four worlds that we need to make sure that we make sure we put in God's hands? And the first one, it starts out, is this world of worship. And that seems odd, but see, the world has got to look at us as we worship God, and they've got to see something that's authentic. They're not interested in lights and, and smoke and all of that. They want to see authentic worship. In Psalm 33, 1, it says this, Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. 
You know, I, I was talking to my sister the day after the funeral, and I explained to her about the, the biblical definition of joy, one I've taught you now for five years, and I'm hoping some of you are going to be able to even say it before I even teach it again. You know, biblical joy is a deep sense of well-being based on our faith in God. Okay? Biblical joy is a deep sense of well-being, and trust me, some of y'all need that, a deep sense of well-being based on our faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Now, let the godly sing for or because of their deep sense of well-being based on their faith in God and, and trust in His sovereign will. Sing it to the Lord. Sing it to the Lord. That's the reason we can sing. And then it says, it's fitting for the pure to praise Him. It's the right thing to do that we sing praise to this awesome, awesome King. You know, there's a quote by John Altberg that says this, I need to worship. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude. Now, you've got to understand, worship is more than a few songs sung before I talk, okay? You know, worship, a large chunk of our worship takes place outside these walls. You know, when you're outside and you're walking and wondering, you do see the night sky or you see the beautiful flowers or you look in the face of your grandchild, your new grandchild. You know, when you see the wonder of God, that is a sense of worship. But here's the problem. If we're not careful, we're going to lose our sense of wonder. We're going to lose our sense of Psalm 8, 3, and 4. You know, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are, God, what am I? God, what am I that you should think about me? Mere humans that you care for them. Don't lose. You know, Warren Wiersbe, my favorite teachers, who's now gone to be with the Lord, you know, said, you know, the church must be careful that it doesn't lose its sense of wonder. We must not lose. Don't reach a point in your life where, you, where God is mundane. Don't reach a point where God is ho-hum. Stand in awe. Stand in wonder that the God who created all of this thinks you're swell. He thinks you're awesome. So awesome, in fact, that he died for you. He goes on in verse number th- 2 and 3. Of Psalm 33, praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-string harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. And I love this because it's like a it's like a bouquet of worship. It's almost like the psalmist is saying it's it's bigger than just one thing. It's so much, you know. Praise the Lord. You know, notice where it's directed at. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. You know what melodies are? Melodies are a, a series of notes that make music. Do you understand that's what we need to be when we worship? We need to be just like a series of notes that we gather together and we worship. He says, goes on and says this, make music. To who? For him. For him. When we gather here and we sing, whether it's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, or Revelation song, whatever it might be, we are making music for him. Well, not on a ten string, but with our voices. You know, we sing a new song of praise to Him. We play skillfully. We worship skillfully on the harp. And we sing with a deep sense of well-being based on our faith of God and trust in His sovereign will. Imagine, if you will, worship as a beautiful bouquet. Every woman loves to get a dozen red roses. But, you know, there's something about a spring bouquet with all the colors and all the textures 
coming together. It truly is something that's beautiful. And that really is how worship should be. You see, our teaching point says this. True worship has very little to do with style or preference. It it really doesn't matter. It's not about style or preference. It has everything to do with a heart hungry for the one that is worshipped. You know, styles in worship are as varied as there are stars in the sky. You know, traditional hymns or the new stuff, hard or soft, loud or soft, you know. But it has really so little to do with that. It has to do with our heart being hungry for Jesus. You know, when I was probably in the fifth grade, the Beatles were just coming on, you know. And for my, what would be now my generation back then, you know, them long-haired boys and their rock and roll music and ar, 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 you know. And I'm positive my mom did not like the Beatles. But she did something. And what she did was she went to Atlantic Mills, and that was kind of like the Walmart of the day, and she bought my sister, um, my, my, of the three littles, the younger, older one, a 45 record. And I don't remember what the songs were, but I know one thing. It was the Beatles. And I couldn't wait. You know, I got home first from school because I was younger. And so I remember my sister getting out of the bus and coming up the sidewalk to the house. I said, Judy, 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 Mama bought you a Beatles record. And that stuck out in my mind so much because I knew Mom was stepping out of her comfort zone to bless my sister. She didn't like that music, but she knew my sister would. And so as we, as we worship, as people watch us worship, let's make sure that we try to include all the different sorts of worship. Because yeah, I'll tell you why. People are watching. People are watching. And they want to see a unity. We may not like, again, every song or every style, but we can worship, worship together. True worship has very little to do with style and preference and everything to do um, with a hunger for the one that we are worshiping. Then we move on to this world of trust. This world of trust. And boy, the psalmist writes and says, For the word of the Lord holds true. The word of the Lord holds true. And we can trust everything he does. Two huge truths. The word of the Lord. Now listen to me. Look here. If you are not a person of the book, Make in the remainder of 2023 that your priority. The Word of God, we are so gifted to have this wonderful book, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but we're so blessed to have the Word of God, okay? We need, we need, we need to understand that the Word of the Lord is something we can trust. Everything He does, we trust, and we learn what He does in the Word of God. Well, what does the Word of God say about the Word of God? Well, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all Scripture. Somebody say, all Scripture. Now, now, that's, now listen, that is, that's Old Testament and that is New Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God. And literally in the Greek, it means that it is God-breathed. God-breathed. Over, over uh, almost a millennia, 40 authors... God used 40 authors to write this marvelous book. And I still find it amazing that even though, even though it hasn't been, quote, updated, hadn't had a revision, you know, and won't have revision over that time period, 2,000 years just since Christ, 
that this is a book that can be trusted. It's never out of date. When I was, when I was facing my nephew's death, and when you were facing a crisis, it's amazing how a scripture will jump off the page and jump right into our hearts. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable. Oh, the word of God is profitable. You know, it's profitable for what, Dwayne? For teaching us. For rebuking. For telling us what's right and for telling us what's wrong. And sometimes, yes, it's right for correcting. Just like when you correct your child. Um, for training in righteousness and right living. And right living. So that the man of God, the woman of God, the student of God can be complete, which is mature and equipped for every good work. The Bible is something we can trust. And again, if we are going to see a national revival occur in America, we have got to have the Word of God implanted and grafted and abiding in our hearts. The third world is this. We've got to have the world of wonder. The world of wonder. Psalm 33, 5 says this. You know, he loves whatever is just and good. Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what does the Lord expect? What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love faithfully, and walk humbly with your God? He loves God's passion about what is just and good. And this is what we've got to be. In this world, the world's got to see something different, and that something different is God. And the unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Fills the earth. We were, we were driving back from, from Georgia, and we thought about, for some reason, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I remember this is, oh gosh, a zillion years ago, I found this, and I fell in love with it. Earth, here's what she said, earth's crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. It's time for the church to quit plucking blackberries and take off our shoes and worship the God that holds our world. Amen? Amen. We need, we need to do that. His unfailing love of the Lord, it fills the earth. Look at verse number six and seven. You know, the Lord merely spoke. Whoa, pause. The Lord merely spoke. You want to know how powerful God is? You know how wonderful God is? When it came to creation, he just spoke. There's so much power in his word. He, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. How amazing, amazing is that? Louis Gigolo talks about, did you know that there are billions of stars? Did you know that there's billions of galaxies? Wow. How about that? Louis Gigolo said this. He said, you know, if we're the only ones in the billions of galaxies... And they were created for inhabitation. That's a terrible waste of space. He said, but what if they weren't created for inhabitation? What if they were created for the glory of God? Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And if you think about it that way, those billions of stars with the billions of galaxies are just about the right size to proclaim the glory that our God, the one who holds our world, deserves. Deserves. He spoke and the world was created. He breathed 
and there were the stars. In verse number 10 and 11, we get down to the final, the final part. Here's what you need to Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to believe. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to believe. I am certain that too many of us, and perhaps I'm one of them too often, is that somehow that God is not in control and that man determines the future. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. Write it down. Psalm 33.10. I don't know what in the world is wrong with Putin. I have to be honest with you. I, again, I'm off the news. And I went to Georgia and they said, you haven't heard about Putin? I said, I haven't heard about Putin. You know? But I know this. God's got Ukraine. God's got that. God's got that. God's got our future, our economy. You know, the Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all. You, you remember this guy named Hitler? The most infamous dictator, murderer there ever was? Wanted to conquer, did conquer a chunk of Europe, but wanted to basically conquer the world? Yeah, he died a coward in a bunker. No one ever found his body. He shot himself, killed himself, took poison. He thought he could have a thousand-year reign. And it lasted a couple of decades. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. Somebody say amen. The Lord's, listen, God's got this. God's got this. The Lord's plans, whatever his plans are, okay, his plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. So in other words, if, if this were a football game and, and you're watching it on a VCR or on a, a DVD player or you're streaming it down and the game was played five days ago, the outcome is already determined. And I'm trying to tell you today that the outcome is already determined and God wins and we're on his side. We win too. Amen. We win too. Guys, listen. Your, kid, your students need to hear this. Your children need to know this. They're growing up in a world of fear. Don't let them be afraid, believing that God just can't handle it. Because He can and because He will. Because He can and because He will. Okay. Time to wind her down. So, can God bless America? You remember what we said last week? Can God bless America? And I said, and I say it again this week, that depends on us. God won't bless sin. So if we, want, if we want God to bless America, then we've got to be willing to repent. We've got to first, we need a movement of repentance in the church. You know what's so crazy is when we lead somebody to Jesus, if we're not careful, the word repentance is never matching. You know, Jesus paid the price for our sin, and we truly believe that if we believe in what Jesus Christ did, who he is and what he did, and willing to turn from our sin. When Jesus found the woman taken in adultery, and he said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Go and say no more. So if we want to see repentance, if we want to see revival in America, you know, we've got, if we want to see America repent, it starts in the church. We have got to say no to sin. 
to nation. So can God bless America? I think it depends on us, the church, his people, getting right with him and staying right with him. Will God bless America? He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Would you not know? It could be, it could be during the end times that America is not a major player. We just don't know. We just don't know. But the first question rests on our repentance. The second question rests on his sovereignty. But whatever he does, we know he can be trusted. Let me, let me end with a, a quote by Ronald Reagan. I don't know how you feel about Ronald Reagan. I think he was a great president. And he said this, If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And once again, that's where the culture is. But it's not too late. But the church needs to be the church. We need to step up and stand out for Jesus. We need to do everything we can to live, not so much as shouting our words, but shouting the love of Jesus into people's lives. Again, I told you last week that during the early church days, you know, what got the world's attention was the way the church loved, not the way the church shouted. Oh, there's times to shout. There's times to shout. But these are days to live. So I want to encourage you, one, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's where it starts. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The wages of sin was death, and Jesus died, that we could have forgiveness of sins. So that's the first step. The second step is this. As the people of God, are we willing to pay the price, no matter how painful, to help God, help God bring revival to America by being his messengers? You know, Paul wrote and said that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And our message should be, be reconciled to God. As the church, are we willing to be the ministers of reconciliation? Would you bow your heads, please, where you are? Thank you so much for your patience and listening today. He's got the whole world. What an encouragement that is. What an encouragement that is. I'll be standing down front. And the altar is filled with bags of blessings. We're going to be talking about that next week. Um, but, filled, but there's still room in front here for you to come and pray. And I'll be glad to, if, I want, if you want to know more about receiving Christ as Savior, I'd be glad to share with you. If you just want a you know, pastor to pray with you, um, I'll be glad to do that also. But this is our time for us to respond um, to God's Word. So, Father, I am grateful that you're the kind of God who has the whole world in your hands. We saw it with Bill's life. I saw it in the life of my nephew, John. Father, we see it every day. You've got our world, and we're grateful for that. And Father, you love this world so much you allowed Jesus to die on a Roman cross. Father, help us to be the church. Help us to live in such a way that when people see us, they don't see rule keepers as much as they see Jesus followers people who adhere to the words of Jesus. Thank you for this time together. And during this last song of worship, have your way in our hearts. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.